Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. Okay, so this is going to be a fun one for me. I'm excited to introduce Matt Sullivan. He's been an editor at the New York Times, The Guardian, The Atlantic, Esquire, and Bleacher Report. But the reason we have him on today is because he's the author of the book, Can't Knock the Hustle, Inside the Season of Protest, Pandemic, and Progress with the Brooklyn Nets Superstars of Tomorrow. You can and you must buy this book wherever books are sold. I read this book in about two days. I was stunned. Uh, Matt, I see you're going through the media circuit right now. How are you hanging in there with all these interviews? I can't complain, man. A little exhausting, but I uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I saw you on the Lebitard show with Stu Gatz, and I was blown away by how you chose to, or by how close you got to KD and Kyrie, um, how they told you things that you just don't hear about in the media today. So that kind of takes me to my first question. You know, how does the basketball media cover the athletes today and how is it different from how you approached writing this book? Because I think a lot of us, you know, just consume media outlets and we don't know how the sausage really gets made. Well, I think right before I started reporting this book, I read David Halberstam's classic book, The Breaks of the Game. And that was at a time in the late 70s and into some of the other kind of famous basketball season on the brink, you know, in, in the, inside the season days when reporters would buddy up to coaches, go to the bar with Larry Bird. And those days are long since gone. I think social media changed the way that players got out their message on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And so while there are still national NBA writers who have their relationships, they have relationships to keep, if that makes sense. And so they, you know, they kiss the ring where they need to. Uh, yeah. and, and so, and, and it works two ways. And so the big stars reciprocate that kind of ass kissing, if you will, with, um, you know, an interview here, an interview there, but it's only five minutes, right? And in the locker room, the big superstars don't make time for reporters on the side or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. LeBron gives one question on the side to his like two favorite reporters. But for the most part, those guys are in and out of their, you know, required four or five questions. The media people are like, all right, time to go. And you get right. kind of some relationships with the side players. But I think that's all changed because of COVID and a lot of the way you've seen this past season and a half covered it's through Zoom. Uh, through these press conferences that are um, amount to propaganda. There's no follow-up questions. There's no mm-hmm. room for relationships. There's barely any one-on-one interviews. And so I got in there before that, you know, change happened. And I made clear to players that I was not going to tweet anything in real time. Uh, I was going to put everything under embargo for two years. And then I wasn't going to ask any questions about basketball. And I think you saw as a result of that, a lot of players who are willing to be open welcome me into their lives and treat me as just kind of intellectual peer rather than a reporter out to get across some message of the daily gossip of the NBA. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of want to get into a little bit of what I found interesting in the book. And, you know, speaking of how the sausage just gets made something you revealed in the book that is, I guess it's kind of an open secret, 
is what Katie calls the circuit board. You know, mm. are shoe companies paying all of these elite kids and their families indirectly? Like, is that how Katie ended up at Texas or was it just completely his con- decision? And, you know, that was just a component of it. I think as a lot of great college basketball reporters have reported, you know, there have been bag men and wink wink deals going on for years. The FBI cracked down on the NCAA almost, you know, a little too narc-ishly when <laughs> they should probably be looking into the kind of for-profit prison that the NCAA has become and, and slowly yeah. chipping away at, at athletes prof- profiting off their likeness. But uh, KD's longtime mentor, coach, godfather calls it the circuit board because you're plugged in early. And whether that's about bagmen or checks for moms and dads, it's really about Nike aligning itself and, and also Adidas aligning itself with the AAU circuit from really when these kids are preteens and they make sure you're on the right AAU team and they make sure that that AAU coach is taken care of, whether that's jerseys and weight rooms or a little something extra. Uh, I, I wouldn't get into with KD so much as, you know, his, his, that coach is one of his high school coaches made clear that, you know, there became a, 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 an opportunity when he chose Nike and the parents chose Nike and he was on the Nike path for life. Now, sometimes guys choose a college, you know, of their own volition and they kind of break the circuit. They unplug and plug in somewhere else. And that's been known like to happen. Zion. Exactly. That's been known to happen plenty of times. Um, But I think it's a cycle that may not be broken despite all the NCAA reform uh, so much as by players profiting off themselves as not a a Nike brand so much as their own brand. And so you've got the kids coming up in this year's draft class who played in the G League, have already gotten paid, have already become their own brands. And so I think that's where You'll see the product of you know, KD is really the last one and done superstar and, and who who's, was stuck in that kind of era. And I think you'll see this new era you know, taking matters into their own hands. You've got Rich Paul getting Darius Baisley, his million dollar yeah. New Balance, quote unquote, internship. I mean, there's a lot of innovation happening where the circuit board is is getting a little fuzzy and electrocuting some of the big players. Do you think the new developments with NIL have kind of really started to chip away at the circuit board? Like there's going to be no more of that or will that only get stronger now? I think it depends how players take the power back. Right. And, and yeah. it's great that your average defensive lineman at a SEC school is able to cash out before he you know, fizzles out in NFL training camps and mm-hmm. is stuck working at a, um, owning a car dealership for the rest of his life. But for Hoopers, I think there's an understanding that the NBA is a player personality driven league. And I think if you've got the brawny generation coming in with their gazillions of followers on IG, you know, it's almost like a, throwback to the and one mixtape guys but with a lot more clout a lot more more buying power a lot more ownership of their own brand and so i think it's really how the brawny generation takes the the path the 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 bridge set up by the lebron generation to own their likeness leverage themselves and not listen to owners executives telling them which way to go and I think that might trickle down not just to the Jalen Greens and John Kamingas of the world at, at, at the top of the draft class, you know, the lottery kids, but um, 
but really any kid who's got a, a dream, not just to chase that Nike bag, but to become a true superstar on their own terms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of indirect payment, I want to talk a little bit of how you got into the the inner workings of the nets and something that struck me is, you know, how normal is it for front offices to have a budget to pay for, you know, Airbnbs for, for players, girlfriends and wives and what else were the nets spending on for their team? Look, the top executives referred to quote unquote, a blank check for the superstars uh, more so than other players. I think that's, that's become increasingly common. Uh, the Athletic mm-hmm. had some reporting about the Clippers, kind of confronting that when when Kawhi and Paul George came on board. And certainly the Nets sort of knew what they were signing up for with their you know, elite practice facility, their top-of-the-line performance team, uh, you know, adapting to a con- kind of concierge service for their superstars. I think they were just taken aback that something else kept coming all the time. And while not mm-hmm. every expenditure uh, line item w- was detailed to me, it was clear that you know Kevin Durant's rehab was something that they wanted to facilitate in his Tony mansion that he was renting for the summer in LA. And so they had to kind of ship things west for him, including trainers. So that that's a melange with his private trainers, his you know gazillions of dollars, a three hundred million dollar Nike deal that he can certainly afford to rent a yeah. fancy house by himself. I think it was just kind of the shock of front offices realizing, okay, here's one thing we signed up with a superstar. Here's the ego, the personality, but then it's like, okay, like we got to pay Kyrie's friend to ostensibly be a rebounder. Uh, Mm -hmm. for the team but he's you know on the payroll and then got to pay a security guard here and there but i think that's become commonplace and i I don't see any any fault with it um some people have been saying you know maybe some of this stuff breaks salary cap rules i mean i i think that's for more insiders than i to to dig into i just found it um, an interesting power dynamic i think the publicity of this book has been a lot of shock from people and how much the stars control the Nets organization. But as I was reading it, it quickly became, you know, just two basketball players learning on the fly what makes them happy and trying to make sure they enjoy how they spend their life. You know, to me, Katie and Kyrie seem incredibly different, and I'm surprised they're as close as they are. How do you view that friendship? Uh, From what I understand, they've been through the microscope again and again and again you know they've been villainized for personal decisions that amount to choosing where they want to work for a living choosing who they want to work with and and what kind of power dynamics they have over their office so to speak and so i think they share that bond obviously they vibe together pretty well on the court too and and their entourages go on vacation together and things like that but yeah, you're right. I mean, I try to give a fair shake to to each of these guys and who they are on and off the court. And Kyrie's a bit more of a loner dad. Uh, KD has a bit more of his entourage crew. Um, KD is obviously much more of a pure hooper who likes to be in a gym all the time. Yeah. And, and Kyrie likes to think about life beyond basketball. But when it comes to choosing that job, to choosing your day job, I think they shared what they call and kind of a cheesy metaphor for them, but to get back to the top of the mountaintop. And that's the championship where they have both been 
kind of not on their own terms, right? Kyrie mm-hmm. didn't really get to choose where, where his destination was since Duke. And so he was kind of getting yeah. sick of the LeBron big brother routine, despite having hit one of the biggest clutch shots in, in really sports history, um, most clutch plays in sports history. And, and KD having, you know, made his uh, decision that he, still can't escape in, in going to the dubs. So I think this was something that they got to start relatively from the ground up, even if it seems like the Nets had been putting together the building blocks of a franchise. Um, you know, a lot of that was just to lure these guys to, to start over on their terms, not necessarily management. You know, you mentioned LeBron. Something I didn't know at all was that LeBron got $4.1 million plus sales incentives for that NBA 2K video game cover. And KD is on the cover this year. Is that commonplace now, or was that just what it took for LeBron to do it? Like, how did you figure that out, and how does that work now? Well, that was a case study at, at Harvard Business School that I um, was able to gain access to, and I think really a, an early template for guys like Kyrie, who followed in LeBron's footsteps, and someone like KD, who who in many ways has been uh, walking behind LeBron in the excuse me trail he's blazed in terms of branding in terms of Hollywood, in terms of investments. I mean, you now see LeBron's Spring Hill companies valued at $750 million. Mm-hmm. You know, KD's cashing out on Postmates. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, $4 million bucks to be on the cover of 2K Post for a photo shoot and do a commercial or two is, is peanuts oh, to these money. guys. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so LeBron has set that template. I think now the guys who are following it uh, will be followed themselves. And yeah, 2K is part of NBA culture. And I think um, the dividends for them are, are a no-brainer in that cost-benefit analysis, which is exactly what they did at Harvard when uh, Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie were students in the class. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that I saw about Kyrie in the book, you know, I, I see Kyrie as a guy who, you know, struggles balancing his changing political ideologies with capitalism you know, you mentioned this cognitive pendulum and, you know, while Katie tends to stay away from the politics and kind of focus on his happiness and career, you mentioned that KD lay awake at night wondering if he'll be alone forever. I I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, funny people with Adam Sandler and Seth <laughs> Rogen, but uh, there was, there was a scene where Seth Rogen is just reading to Adam Sandler, like a, a nighttime story. Cause he needs to fall asleep. Cause he's lonely. Like, how did you, did Katie tell you that? Was that like, you know, journalistic, you know, flair. Like how did that, how did that come I, about? I think that's an old sports illustrated quote from a great Lee Jenkins profile. And I think okay. what I attempted to do here was not retread too much of that backstory, especially for the two main stars of, of the book and, and the nets that have been kind of covered ad nauseum, but there are bits and pieces that when placed in the right context, when checked by sources close to these guys and the guys themselves to make sure that those building blocks are taken in context, I think it's important, right? To take the totality of this reporting, mix it with my own, confirm it as my own, yeah. right? To make sure that the exaggerations of the player, you know, Kobe had his version of calling Kyrie in the, in the on FaceTime in the kind of champagne soaked locker room after the shot in 2016. But, you know, you have to kind of put together the pieces of each of the sides of the story and then bring in some extra sources to make sure that this is kind of the official record of this stuff rather than, again, the, the propaganda version you hear in, in the nice, sweet story in the 
post-game press conference or the social media sanitized veneer and really get that raw truth. And so I think I, I took a train to DC to cover uh, a, a KD event and, and visit his hometown, but I made it, I made an extra stop at a Wizards game to check that fact to make sure that Kobe and Kyrie's version jived with a couple of uh, former teammates who happened to be playing at a game at Capital One Center in Washington. So it's that level of depth I wanted to go, go to rather than just say, told Lee Jenkins in 2013. <laughs> right. No, and, and it actually absolutely explained, you know, who these people are. So I, I think that was definitely a necessary step. You know, one of the things I found interesting was uh, your explanation of what was going on in the bubble and, you know, seeing it happen in real time and then, you know, reading your story after. I found it interesting, you know, Kyrie was one of the proponents of of striking, of mm. using the the power of capitalism or the absence of capitalism to actually affect change. And then LeBron went and found Obama, who, you know, <laughs> kind of had more of a, a self-serving, like you know, we want to, we, we believe in incrementalism, change happens over mm. generations, get out and vote. You know, where do you think, KD would have sat on those two sides. I think he's a fairly apolitical figure, despite inherently being a very influential figure. And so being political because of that, I think you've seen in, in movements for change uh, over, you know, the course of modern black history in particular, um, not factions so much as different mindsets and approaches, right? There's Malcolm mm -hmm. and Martin, right? There's, yeah. there's the more, um, you know, left-leaning, uh, you know, kind of fuck the man version yeah. of, of change. And then there's the, uh, you know, the hope and change version that that, right. that seeks compromise to almost a mass audience rather than a, a fist in the air following. And so, you know, that was described to me by activists in, in the work I've done in the, the movement, you know, the modern movement based on kind of police killings and, and racial injustice. And I think reflected by my conversations with players, even before the killings of Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd and, and, and so many others lost to senseless gun violence. And so I think you do see the Kyrie Kaepernick wing of things, the Jalen Browns of the world mm -hmm. who are willing to, to not put up with this. And then you've got the LeBrons and some of the NBA union folks who want to Chris Paul's the world that want to get the deals done. Yeah. And I think just as movements have for a long time, you, you, you gain strength with, with both sides and it doesn't mean you need to come together, but I, I do see KD as kind of falling somewhere in between. Yeah. Cause I, I agree that, you know, he, he definitely comes off as apolitical, but he's also a hooper. You know, I, I know he just wants to play whereas Kyrie sees it more as a job and he's just he happens to be very excellent at it yeah so it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic in that kd is going to play with team usa because he just wants to get out there and hoop again and he thinks it's important to represent his country and yet i'm not exactly sure of kd's motivations for it but he and Kyrie and deandre jordan were skipping the national anthem this past mm -hmm. season and and mm -hmm. whether that was a overt political statement or just a personal choice because they're kind of fed up with the whole symbolism and nationalism of, of what's become kind of a tired ritual in my opinion um, you know my reporting shows that, that that certainly wasn't just a bathroom break or or <laughs> getting some extra stretching in before the game uh deandre jordan uh so he was a centerpiece of getting this team together really and 
do you think he still thinks of himself as a cog in the machine or will he be expendable now that he's out of Steve Nash's rotation? I mean, let me just say that DeAndre Jordan's one of the most incredible life forces you will see in a pro sports locker room. I mean, he's just such a gregarious guy and he does a really important job in, in defending his superstar friends and colleagues from a lot of the attacks that they receive. And I think that's a big reason, an intangible that is not an on-court intangible that, that he came for and, and that those big dogs re- recruited him for and made sure he got paid handsomely for. It was a, and he was an all-star. Totally. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's big body, aging body. And, and I think mm-hmm. at, at the center position has changed. Certainly, um, you know, he became not expendable, but um, less preferred to the previous Nets um, coaching team. And K- Kenny Atkinson kind of was playing favorites with the Jared Allens of the world. And and that certainly rubbed some of the vets on the Nets the wrong way and, and was not a sm- very small factor in things coming to a head leading to Kenny Atkinson's firing, uh, despite mm-hmm. it being called the mutual parting of ways. And I think this season, Steve Nash has come in and been willing to both kind of babysit the A-listers and, and make them happy, but also call a spade a spade and say, look, you know, DeAndre's getting a little washed out there and I'm going to give those minutes to Nick Claxton and give a bunch of DNPs to DeAndre Jordan, who's not what he was on the court, but, but continues to be that important presence off the court. And I think if they're going to really go for that chip, go for that dynasty, uh, it, it may be that, that DJ is willing to continue to kind of swallow his pride and, and be a real force of life uh, in the practice facility and on the bench. Uh, you told the story of Kenny Atkinson getting pushed out. Uh, you told the story of how Steve Nash was brought in. But in between that, you mentioned that there was preference for uh, KD and Kyrie to get Greg Popovich. How close were the Nets to getting Greg Popovich? How was that going to happen? I think Pop would be at the top of a lot of people's lists, right? It's like the it's like the dream. You get Pop or Coach K in there at the tail end of their career to go win you three chips. So he's Pop's really close with Nets GM uh, Sean Marks. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I've, I've had this out there, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I remember interviewing Pop pregame. The Nets Spurs game was was right around the time of of Atkinson's firing, like a couple days before. There was definitely a lot of beef brewing in the locker room, and I remember noticing KD and Sean Marks kind of stalking the tunnel a lot more than usual, looking like something was up, looking very determined to talk. And and Sean Marks is having these really involved conversations with Tim Duncan, with. Um, you know, kind of coming in and out of rooms. And look, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I remember Pop being really, really late to his um, his pregame media availability and kind of you know, putting an eye up, like, well, what's going on here? And so, you know, I, I think there were rumors bubbling of, of Pop that I, I didn't really follow that closely because I, I knew things would shake out. Um, I think Steve's a great fit. I, I worked with him at Bleacher Report and he again is a, a, able to both babysit and bring his championship mentality that kind of elusive quality um, but he's also able to hang out with with KD on Manhattan Beach where they both spent last summer and and I'm sure they had many a couch session and you know, they were careful with this one and made sure that the cat didn't get out of the bag and you know friends of of Kyrie didn't know that that Nash was coming even though I'm sure they were talking behind closed doors and and when 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 that was revealed, I think it surprised people, but it impressed them as well. 
Uh, last question here. I want to be respectful of your time. It's a theoretical question. Let's say the Nets disband and either one of or all of Harden, Kyrie, and KD go their separate ways. What do you think will have happened? I think KD has established himself as the power center of, of the franchise. And while Kyrie locked in on, honed in on, on Brooklyn as his destination, and in some ways KD followed him there, I think KD has reestablished himself as the best player in the world with, with no shade to Giannis. Uh, but he's also got the ear of players around the league and his own management to kind of pick and choose who he wants, including his good friend James Harden. And I think those guys will be able to share the rock and, and also share the uh, attention and, and power. And so I, I don't see any disbanding coming. I do see frustration from management with, with Kyrie. And it would certainly be a serious um, Brutus move for KD to encourage, you know, Kyrie to, you know, get out of there or pull off some wild trade down the line if he's, expendable asset but but i think Kyrie's too important to the heart and soul of this team the heart and soul of the nba to to be expendable so i see them breaking up when they get washed and older win three chips and and want to you know try their second careers and i'd put my money on Kyrie seeking a second career before a lot of those other guys okay okay matt sullivan can't knock the hustle inside the season of protest pandemic and progress with the brooklyn Nets superstars of tomorrow you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find the book at hc.com slash the hustle. That's HC as in HarperCollins, my publisher. And you can find uh, any way to buy it there, uh, audio or Dead Tree print or Kindle, what have you. And uh, definitely support your local bookstores as well. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it.